This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. Today's a little unconventional. It's very unconventional. First off, let's apologize. We didn't release an episode last week. We had some technical difficulties yeah. uh, with the last episode that we had in the batch that we recorded. So we weren't able to release that. And then that rolled right into... Yeah, let's just let's, let's explain the situation because yesterday we had a guest coming in to record a podcast with us. And all of a sudden, so I'm trying not... Man, I'm trying not to just completely shit on Houston meteorologists. But it's like literally, they're like, oh shit, a hurricane, you know, and all of a sudden we're underwater. It took Jake and I seven hours yesterday to get home mm. in the floods. I don't know about you guys, but I knew about this about three or four days ago. So I don't know what fucking <laughs> newscast you guys watch, but this was something that's been brewing. But so. no, it was, so, it was supposed to happen on Wednesday. It was supposed to happen on Wednesday. That's okay. when they were saying everything was going to be bad. And okay. then nothing came. And then on Thursday, they're like, oh, it's going to rain. And all of a sudden, shit was just shut down. Yeah. Well, I don't know about everyone out there, but people shit on the burbs all the time. And I can guarantee you one thing is I'm glad I live in Katy because it took me about 45 minutes to get home, not seven hours. So, well, I mean, I, I live in Katy too, dog. And that's well, why it took me seven hours to get but home. But you office <laughs> downtown. So. so Colin took the parking ride. And so, yeah, our new office is, is being built downtown, but we're there for now and i was like hey man i'm taking off i live in tomball it's gonna take me forever and then i look on facebook and it was like all metro rides are shut down i was like hey is the parking ride considered metro and he's like oh yeah and i was like <laughs> i was like well this this bus is leaving if you want to come it's, he, my, it's my first week taking the metro parking ride and nice. it's like yeah cancel and i'm like okay what am i supposed to do now but anyway so justin thanks for coming on man hey i appreciate it justin's filling in the shoes of our empty guest spot but it's kind of cool because jake and i've been talking a while for about doing this type of joe rogan format where we just have some roundtable discussions with good buddies of ours and yeah. you know shoot the shit talk about only gas and whatever comes across well i'm table, honored so. to be considered a good buddy i've been called a lot worse and so like <laughs> it was funny because like normally fridays for me are slammed which everyone that wolf is like oh you don't work fridays you're in sales i'm like dude friday is like the busiest day for me because like all week you know busy doing whatever and then Friday's like finally catch up day. And like today just happened to be the one day that like, hey, I don't have hockey because the floods. And then, you know, I had a few recordings myself and then those got canceled because floods, offices being shut down. So I'm sitting there sipping on a coffee and Colin calls me out of the blue. I'm like, this has got to be good. And then he's like, yo, let's record. So uh, I appreciate you reaching out. This actually like the timing I, and the I, stars I call you at 8 a.m. He's like, yeah, I can be there at 10. I mean, that's that's real MVP status, man. Right? Well, I know. The opportunity to get on Digital Wildcat, I was like, yep, I'm in. So, so unless you can do that, you can't be on these kind of episodes. Yeah. It's going to be last minute. <laughs> right? So, man, but your podcaster yourself, let's, let's talk the people about you a little bit because you got a badass podcast that you run too so talk a little bit about that and how that's been going yeah no i i appreciate that so yeah part of the oggn crew over there started up oil and gas on shore and you know i always wanted to be in podcasting i listened to podcasts probably for like the last four years and yeah you originally started off just listening to health and fitness podcasts and i was going to start a gym and so i listened to barbell shrug they got like a full-blown gym sort of like a business podcasts around gyms to kind of the ins like and outs og fitness podcast right there it yeah. goes back like six seven years it does but like like they laid out the fundamentals from a non-salesy standpoint and then eventually it got into sort of like a sales pitch on their platform like for gyms to be able to buy their deal but like the first like 40 or 50 episodes like it was like the blueprint for starting a gym so which was pretty cool so anyway listen to that and didn't end up you know starting a gym but it was just interesting to hear 
you know, I'm like, wow, there's a platform to provide free content. And that was, you know, when, you know, like Joe Rogan had already proved that concept, like, hey, neat platform. You can listen to people BSing. And so, but this was like super informative. So I was like, well, I'm interested in, you know, other stuff too. So then I started listening to other podcasts. Well, fast forward, you know, being in sales, driving around Houston and, you know, flying and doing a lot of traveling. I was like, there's got to be an oil and field podcast. So first thing I do and, you know, by design, this is how you guys made, you know, the oil and gas this week. I searched up oil and gas podcast. Well, at the time it was with James Hahn and Mark LaCour. Yeah. Listen to that. You went in there, filled James's shoes, and Man, uh, you've been listening a long time because I'm an OG, I came on bro. in 2016, dude. It's been, it's been like two like, years, yeah, or three years now. Shit, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm telling you, I'm been just a big fan of you, Jake, for so long. <laughs> God, <laughs> but, where's, uh, a, where's a pen at? Let me yeah. get <laughs> now. Look at you sitting across the table, podcast. Oh, I know Damn. it's great, but yeah, to, to make a long story short, you know, there was an opportunity to sponsor some stuff, and then you know, I tried to get in on that. And then one thing led to the next. Mark was like, hey, you should, you know, start. Have you ever considered being on a podcast? I was like, yeah, I'd love to. And I mean, I just want to do it to be able to, you know, sit behind a microphone, get in front of people, talk about things, provide information to to people that otherwise wouldn't get the opportunity to sit in front of. And yeah, so kind of hit that off and got a sponsor. And and then, yeah, started recording with different people. And mine's a little different in the fact, I mean, it's interview style, but it's, you know, I'll interview whether it's salesmen, engineers. So like, you know, I've interviewed CEO. So it's kind of a little bit of everything, but, and it's oil and gas onshore. So it literally covers anything and everything, whether it's upstream, downstream. So yeah, yeah just been able to connect with a lot of people and interview some really neat folks from all over, you know, the industry. It's probably the coolest, yeah. coolest thing about podcasting, right? Is the people that you get to meet and talk to. Yeah. During it. It's interesting. And like a lot of people, and I'm sure you guys probably get this all the time, reach out and like, oh, you know, I, I like a podcast. And, you know, being in sales, the first thing people ask me is like, you know, have you seen your sales increase? And it's like, it's hard to quantify. Like the only mm -hmm. way you can quantify the value, you know, or not only way, but one of the ways is like, you know, check your downloads, check your subscribers. As long as that's increasing, then you're providing you know, value for your listeners and you're creating more awareness around the brand or whether it's people that you're interviewing, but it's just, you know, the networking ability. And they always say, you know, networking is your net worth. And like mm -hmm. the more opportunity that you can get in front of other people and make a positive impact and whether you can help motivate somebody or help, you know, connect a dot to help find someone find a job. And in your guys' case, you're doing it on such a large scale. Like you're actually helping people, you know, that are raising capital, you know, create business. And so like, that's where the value's at. So you can't yep. say like, I record a podcast and someone called me wanted to buy mud. Like it doesn't work like that. <laughs> yeah. But if you can think from, you know, on a macro level, like what kind of avenues are being you you gotta, know, paved. You got to start, they think in long-term, like I think so many people are so it's like short-term. Like you said, it's like record a podcast and then get sales and stuff. And that does happen. We've seen that happen multiple times with a lot of companies that have come on. Right. But you really, you're in the people business first and foremost. And so how do you quantify the value of the relationships of the people that you've touched? Right. You know, you got to be looking at it from 20 years from now and Connor and I have talked a lot about this as opposed to 20 minutes from now or 20 days from now and what kind of impact can you have on on their their businesses and their relationships and I'm always playing the long game you know with everybody who comes to any of our events or listens to the podcast or anybody that we meet it's hey I can always help you however I can I'll introduce you to whoever it may be mm -hmm. and that's the advice that I give to everybody who is coming into the industry for the first time or they're graduating from school I had a call with a guy earlier today and I was like, man, your job, if you're looking for a job, is to be out every single night, meeting with as many people as possible, providing value. Don't ask for a single thing. Right. Yeah. It's it's the Gary Vaynerchuk thing. He's like, you know, give more than I take because karma is a real thing. Yeah. And so eventually it's going to come back tenfold. Yeah. So and playing the long game, like nowadays you have to, you know, when people are creating content and doing things and it like 
instant gratification is going to kill somebody eventually. Cause yeah. it's like, you gotta be able to like see things through and be patient. And cause you know, there's always the overnight success that took 12 years. Like, yeah. and like that's what people, that's where, you know, you have to kind of apply that concept now to a lot of different things. So you know that's, what's interesting though, is like, I see a lot of people starting to put out content on LinkedIn, you mm -hmm. know, starting up podcasts in oil and gas specifically. Yep. Like think back a year ago, there was hard no, it was nobody. I mean, it was, it was like a taboo thing. It was like, Oh, don't do that because it's not professional for some reason, or it's like, you're going to, yeah, I know, like, screw I know, yourself I know professionally. people that put out content and then their employer would tell them that they had to stop or else they're going to lose their job. And yeah. I think that's starting to, you know, kind of level off a yeah. little bit, but you know, now you have, I want to talk about energy fintwit a little bit because yeah, you mentioned, you, you mentioned that term and I was like, what is that? You're like, let's wait. Like, we need to talk about it on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Explain like, explain like we're five. What is energy fintwit for everybody who's listening? Okay. So first off, if you're not on Twitter, Fintwit is kind of, you know, it stands for financial Twitter. And that's where all these investment bankers and, you know, private equity guys, Wall Street hedge fund managers, they're all on Twitter, except they're running under avatars. So they're not using oh. their real name. You know, they, they can't be identified, but they're just like spilling the beans on everything that's happening. So energy Fintwit is obviously oil and gas finance guys, these investment bankers, private equity guys. Okay. And, you know, they're just, I can't even begin to explain how funny the shit is so that I they follow post, but one guy it's like skilling parody yeah so mr so mr skilling the parody account he's like the ringleader <laughs> yeah of everyone like he's, he's the OG. It's hilarious so shout out mr skilling parody We're he good has friends. been he, him and david ramsonwood have been referenced with screenshots in corporate presentations I saw that. dude i saw dude, that yeah how nuts is that that no, is that, hilarious. that one that i was telling you about yesterday jake so ubs puts out should i read it yeah, read it. Hold on. I, I, I got to find it real quick. I don't so, know if there's any trademarks on tweets. No, there's there's it. not. Yeah, if, there is, gonna, whatever. if he comes after me, he's going to have to... Uh, get him on the uh, podcast. He'd love yeah, it. Dude, I've been trying to get him. <laughs> the, the thing is, is that they're anonymous. And I'm like, dude, we'll do it by phone call. Right. You can come in. Truly you know, I'm, anonymous. I'm trying to get these guys in. But UBS sent out a... I guess they're having this... Hold on. I got to find it, guys. Hold on. Give me two seconds here. No worries. So Mr. Skilling got put in Twitter jail... They locked him out of his account. <laughs> what? Are yeah. you serious? Yeah, they, 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 they locked him out for some reason. So he's not able to operate it. So he's operating under a new alias. And I got to find it here real quick. He's under Mr. Mrs. Skilling right now. That's what he's <laughs> operating under. But shit, I can't find it. Anyways, so... He's got kind of this running joke that he eats at the Chili's. You know, he's a, he can find him at the Chili's bar in the Galleria. And <laughs> like uh, the world's shittiest Chili's. He's never been there. <laughs> yeah. And the, he, he's uh, trademarked a drink there called the uh, Skilling Sidewalk Slammer. No and, way. Uh, <laughs> that's <laughs> Anyways, awesome. UBS had put out this memo. I don't know if they were like throwing some type of event, but it, it said that it was directed towards some of their institutional investors. And they put out a note that was like, hey, Mr. Skilling, We'll be at Galleria Chili's, you know, at five o'clock. Would you care to meet us there? And he's like, this is it, boys. We made it. He's like, catch me there. I'll be there in my 1990 Miata convertible yeah. top drop till, <laughs> till getting in the parking lot. And so you got like, man, you got like, you got a few of these guys. So if you want a list to follow 
I'll give you guys a list to follow. Hold on. So Mr. Skilling parody account is one of them. You got average energy investor. You got, I think, chasing value. Easy thing is to just go follow Colin at the oil God and then just go to who he follows and just and look then, at anything that well, looks like energy. So, to it. so I fucked this up first off because so my handle at the oil God, it's on par for energy Twitter, but I didn't realize that you're not supposed to use your real name or real picture. So <laughs> oh. I, I fucked up. Like You're the know. only person I'm not operating in a parody <laughs> Right. Yeah. So you got Hall- <laughs> you got you got Hallie Burton. She's a good yes, one to follow. I've seen that. Energy underscore matters is a good one. Probably undeveloped. Another really good one is more drilling, and that's spelled M O A R drilling. Great so account. So these outside, guys- outside of the fact that it's humorous, let everybody know why they should like. What is the actual most of the content that they're putting out? Okay. Well, I mean, this is like very macro economics mm-hmm. of why these accounts are gaining popularity is because, I mean, if you take a look at any independent EMP company that has fucked with Shell over the last 10 years, not a single one's made any profit. And so people are like, hey, you know, why are these management teams taking millions of dollars in kickbacks and bonuses, but the companies continue to lose money and they're not passing in through any value to the investors. Yeah. So, like, hey, we filed know, bankruptcy three times. I'm going to pay you a multi-million dollar retention bonus. You remember, like two years? Yeah. You remember, like two years ago? You know, we stumbled across an article that was challenging Shell, and we started talking a lot about how Jake and I started talking a lot about how is Shell a Ponzi scheme? Mm. Because none of these companies are able to produce a profit. You know, they, they right. tote, you know, a 50% IRR at the wellhead, but none of that money gets passed through to the investors and they have to continue drilling new wells just to, you know, that keep was their like balance sheet afloat. Two or three years ago, and I remember you and I were talking about it. We went down the rabbit hole and then we I started kind of like having some small conversations with the people, kind of like feeling it out and seeing what they thought about it. And everybody was like, what are you talking about? Shale is the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, it's the, the, shell, the, the, shell, the shell revolution. It's mm. you know, how many jobs it's provided and it's boosting their economy. But yeah. and that's like, yeah, that's that's what a Ponzi scheme would do too. It stays afloat for a long time and looks great until it all comes crashing down. Yeah. And you know, I've been talking to a lot of investment bankers and private equity guys over the last couple months. And you know, if you look at a traditional EMP strategy, what these guys are doing is, you know, they'll go out and they'll acquire acreage, they'll aggregate all this acreage, they'll drill some test wells, they'll prove the reservoir, and then, you know, they'll flip that. It's almost a land play. And guess what? It's all the private equity guys that are buying these. So they're boosting the valuations and just selling them amongst themselves. Right. And guess what? That game comes to an end at, at some point. And so now these companies are really having to look internally and say, hey, how can we drive efficiency? Usually they would hold these investments for let's just say ballpark five years, give or take. And now we've seen within this cycle, they have not been able to actually realize these investments or they're having to hold a lot longer. Mm. And what they've realized is that they're all holding bags of shit that they've overvalued over the past few years. I'm sure, but like, you know, I don't think we mentioned it, but you work for AES on the drilling fluid side. And so I'm sure you interface with a lot of just service guys. And there's probably a lot of people asking like, you know, hey, what's going on? You know, when's this downturn going to end? But I think what a lot of people don't realize is that this is isn't just another downturn. There's it's completely restructure. Oil and gas is fundamentally broken right now from a uh, capital structure standpoint. And with that, you know, I, I think that it's going to get uglier before it gets better. But yeah, you know, what what's sentiment out in the field? Guys are afraid. Most folks are working scared. I mean, for anyone out there who follows the U.S. rig count, like it's dropping. And so I don't. You know, it's it's funny because I don't think we've really ever gotten fully out of the downturn. Like for service companies, like margins, like before the downturn, everyone was making money. Everything was good. And then downturn hits, well, you know, operators aren't, you know, they're making less and less money. So, of course, they got to squeeze the service companies. So then 
but they're, they're the first ones to be like, oh, don't worry when the oil price comes around, you know, we'll get you guys your money back. Well, that's never happened. Oil price went up for a little bit there after the downturn. And now it's kind of, you know, now it's somewhat, I don't know if you could ever call it stabilized, but it's been floating around this, you know, 50 to $60 yeah. range then, now for a while. It came back, you know, earlier this week when, you know, yeah. Saudi Arabia got droned or missile or whatever happened, yeah. you know, and I, you know, all these EMP management teams, I could just see them like rubbing their hands like, man, we're about to get a bailout here, $100 oil. <laughs> yeah. Which is funny because what, what it was a max at, like everyone was saying, well, like $100 barrel oil, like what did it max at? Like, yeah. I think 60, I, 62, 63. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, almost. I think I win. think overall it, it, it bumped up five percent. You know, you saw I think in Brent crude you saw a twenty percent spike on that first day, but then yeah. it leveled off pretty quick. But yeah, no, they. It, so anyway, I, you know, I always reference it now as being in the downturn hangover, and like I think this is going to be a long hangover, and I think it's going to be just the new norm. So like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like I was mentioning earlier is I had a gentleman out of San Diego, a recruiter, hit me up and not to like headhunt and offer me a job. It was just like, hey, like, what are you seeing? Where, you know, where are the jobs being made? And, you know, even at like a smaller company like ours, midsize, like we're hiring a lot of, you know, in positions of like data scientists and people to like increase efficiencies and help reduce headcount because our margins are so slim. Like we need to put processes in place to, to become more efficient without having to hire more people. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's weird. I think it's going to become a game and like everyone's trying to automate. I got buddy, you know, buddy who's works at Chevron. He's pretty high up in Canada and all their directional stuff is out of an office. Like they don't even, you know, have directional drillers on location on some of their stuff. That's so, going to be a thing. Remember we had GS logs. Yeah. Dallas um, got in here. Yeah, and that's his whole operation is remote MWD services. Right. Yeah. You know? That's and so like and so that's that's why I was telling this this guy, I was like, you know, I think if you can start placing some data scientists that want to get out of Silicon Valley or wherever the hell you're sourcing these folks from, because like you look at before the Anadarko Oxy merger, Anadarko hired a team of fifty data scientists from all over the world to like basically, you know, get creative and figure out how to create software and do things and you know, a guy that was like a private detector in Brazil figured out a way to read logs on like a mass scale and help reduce that time, which, you know, that eventually these companies are just going to need less and less people, but like the technology behind it's going to be so powerful. So, so, so that goes back to what we were saying with, with Colin said, you know, we've, the, we're not talking bad about the shale wells. We're talking about the capital structure and how it flows through the company. And then the reason these, the returns are not passed on to the energy investors is because G&A eats up almost all of it. Right. So yeah. G&A would be, you, you look can, at your land costs, your yeah. seismic, just operations, salaries, capex. offices, and stuff like that. And so we're going to see a lot of downsizing. But him and I had a conversation when we were stuck in the car the other day. I don't know what we were doing, but talking about just like downsizing. And if, if it's going to be, you know, is it going to be a 20 to 30% reduction in, in staff or is it going to be like a 70 to 80% reduction? And then he was talking about from the field perspective, just like you can't pay these guys any less than what they're already making because it sucks. Yeah, dude, I'm not going to go right, fucking no. work on a rig for less than what I got paid doing it. You know, yeah. like if I wanted to make $50,000, I'll go get a job in town doing it. I'm not yep. going to go bust my ass. Right. Work forty hour shifts in a fucking sandstorm out in West Texas for fifteen dollars an hour. Well, yeah, and you, it's funny you mentioned that because I was talking to somebody and like everyone thinks, oh, when you go to West Texas, everything you're making a shit ton of money. Now, obviously, it, it's sort of it's different depending on what you know discipline you're in, but yeah, like working rigs right now, like you can make similar money, you know, working in town depending on what position you are, and so like. I was actually on a rig in West Texas last week talking to a company man who was from Edmonton. And so we were, you know, just talking about the good old days, like, you know, how hard, you know, things were back then. And, and now it's like, 
roughnecks don't have to do anything it's like they hire nipple up crews they hire people to come clean the rig they hire people to come clean the mud tanks and so it's like they hire people for everybody it's like well what are they doing they're just walking around like with like a wrench pretending to do something <laughs> it's so crazy you know i roughneck when i started roughnecking it was almost 10 years ago and it's yeah. so funny how much it's like i was down there with the fucking hammer wrench nippling up the bop like i yeah. was there painting the rig and the and and scrubbing it and yeah like, that's what i got paid to do <laughs> right and so now like so one of my customers the superintendent's out of canada and he's like totally flipping the game up and he's telling all his rigs to like get rid of all these third parties that are coming. He's like, I don't mind paying roughnecks more, but they're going to be expected to work for 12 hours, not work for two and walk around for, you know, 10 hours. And so again, it just comes roughnecks getting soft, man. I know they are. And they don't, and like, like they don't pull slips anymore. They don't throw tongs, which has been away for a while now, but yeah, it's just probably have all their fingers and stuff. What kind of bullshit is this? Yeah, exactly. But I I guess back in my day, man, we pull (laughs) slips and threw tongs. Yeah. We didn't have no fucking (laughs) ST80s. Right. No, it's it's, so it's different, right? But I mean, what it comes down to is like, you know, doing more with less. Like if you can do more with technology and less people, then that's where you're going to eventually get your margin back. But it's just, yeah, things on a whole scale are shifting and are just becoming different. And the way we're going to have to, you know, operate our business is going to change. And then with all this consolidation too, like, you know, there's people are losing jobs because people are consolidating and doing more with less. So it's, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's hard to say what will happen, you know, when automation comes. But I mean, if you look at like, you remember when we were at ATC last year, Jake, we were at Weatherford's booth. And I mean, they have casing tongs that are almost fully automated. Yeah. Like one, you know, you, you look at a casing crew offshore Shit, man, those guys roll deep when they go offshore. I'm talking like 10 to 20 people sometimes on a crew. Mm-hmm. Maybe 20 is probably high, but like 10 people easy. Yeah. And some of these casing tools that Weatherford's building, it looks like one person can operate an entire floor operation just because everything's automated. And, you know, that type of shit will scare you because it's like, oh, wow, there's a bunch of jobs gone right there. But also, I mean, this this type of thing's been happening for decades where it's like, oh, you know, this new technology is coming out. It's going to take away all the jobs. But what we've seen is that it creates more jobs just in a different capacity or yeah. aspect. So mm-hmm. it's not about there's not going to be a job for you. So you're going to have to adapt and be able to be fluid in your skill set. Right. And, and it's less labor intensive, but mm-hmm. more sitting, you know, in your bubble, smelling each other's farts and cubicles and looking at computer screens. Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> if you think, if you think <laughs> that's how it's going to be, <laughs> if you think roughneck, like, I hate to pick on roughnecks. I love my roughnecks out there. But right. if you think about roughnecks out in West Texas, that their job's getting easy. I mean, you go offshore and I mean, you don't have a Derrick can. Like it's rack and pipe. That rig's rack and pipe mm-hmm. by, by itself. You don't pull slips. The slips are automated. Yeah. They still got roughnecks out there. You know, <laughs> like the roughnecks are still out there, but right. they just, they eat. That's what they do. They come in the galley. I've been eat, calling them softnecks lately. Like, you know how many softnecks you got out there? But again, and I can talk about it. I mean, we've both been out there, but I wanted to kind of shift and ask and kind of question to you guys. So, you know, you look at obviously all these energy companies, all the way from majors down to small caps over the last year, they're down on an average like 60, 50%, you mm-hmm. know, value. But you look at companies like Uber, all these small tech, you know, WeWork, obviously they're struggling with their IPO because the valuation there is all fucked up. <laughs> so like, how do you, how would you compare companies like in technology that come out and have crazy valuations that don't make money? Yeah. And similarly, I mean, is, there a, is there a bridge there? Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, just talking, talking, talking on the point of WeWork and Lyft and Uber, you know, I think right now we're seeing a lot of bubbles. We're seeing a bubble in the, in the public market. Everything's just 
crazy, crazy inflated. We've been seeing a bubble in the private market where these tech companies like WeWork are just raising round after round after round, getting crazy valuations. And that game's coming to an end. You're not going to be able to continue to get these ridiculous valuations in the private market and then get a pass to liquidity for the LPs mm. by dumping it in the public market via IPO. Right. That game's over. And I think WeWork is going to be the pinnacle of that bubble I mean, you just look at it, their valuation and their IPO is just getting slashed. I mean, it started at like 40 billion and now it's down to 10 billion. But that, it's a hard comparison too because their CEO, Adam, he's done some stuff that's just shady, in my opinion, that doesn't fly with a public company. And, you know, it's at the point now where their biggest LP or their biggest backer, SoftBank, is telling them, hey, you, you got to shelve the IPO. Like, this mm. is going to be a disaster. So I think that we're starting to see that bubble pop. Now, when you talk about all these uh, other, you know, small mid-cap EMPs, their stocks have been getting hammered, right, for the last five years. I think that there probably is a buying opportunity within those within those companies. And if you look at this, if you actually go back and look historically, I mean, go look at the last five recessions have been kicked off by a spike in oil prices. There's a pretty good correlation between a rally in oil and a recess, recession in the public market. And I was actually kind of afraid that this whole Saudi Arabia issue with oil spiking so fast, and if that was to stay, you know, sustain over a two or three month period, I was afraid that that was going to be the catalyst for this recession in the public market because hmm. it's bound to happen now, right? I mean, we're fucking 10 year bull run, historic bull run in the United States. It's going to come to an end. But, you know, seeing these, you know, big valuations, one, there's only two companies I can think of in oil and gas tech that have got just crazy high valuations. Both of them are backed by Founders Fund from the West Coast, traditional Silicon Valley, BC. So it makes sense that they have these valuations, but it, it makes no sense in my mind why they have those valuations. But I think that game's coming to an end pretty quick yeah. within the next year. I think I think looking at this from a super macro point of view from not just the ENPs, but also looking at the banks that have been issuing ridiculous amounts of leveraged based on overestimated reserves and PUDs, and then also looking at the government for even allowing this whole five-year PUD law to even exist in the first what place. What is PUD? So the proven um, but undeveloped. Oh, okay. So yeah, they've gone in there. They've drilled some test wells. They've proven the reserve uh, or the reservoir, but they haven't actually gone and developed and drilled out the lease. Makes sense. So, so, to my, so to my understanding, the PUD law is that if you have these PUDs essentially on your books, now you don't even have to do a well test. You used to have to. So now oh. you can say that these wells are going to produce X amount. Here's the IP that we're predicting, and here's the EUR. Right, So the estimated ultimate recovery of the life of the well, and you can do that for across all of your PUDs. Oh, and shit. you can have those on your books as revenue for five years, right? Or as reserves, I mean. And so then you can take that in a reserves report and go to Citibank, go to Wells Fargo, whatever, and get leverage based on that. So now if that is super inflated, you're going and getting leverage based on the fact that you're anticipating that this is going to generate X amount of revenue or you'll be able to liquidate it for X amount of price, right? Now, historically, almost every single time that I've seen in, in reports, those are, have been overestimated, right? So then you take out leverage and what we've seen with Continental, we've seen with a lot of these big guys that they take out all the leverage and then they're not able to make their interest payments when they come due because mm-hmm. they overestimate it. Now they don't actually have the cash flow to pay on that. Right. So in Continental's case, they actually, the bank came back and chopped their interest rate in half so that Continental will be able to make those interest payments. Well, I mean, that's one example. You know, talking about bubbles, there's an argument that there could be a bubble in what these reserve valuations are based at. Yep. And I mean, 
when I talk to the private equity guys and I talk to the investment guys, like I, I push them to like say, yeah, these these reserve values are bullshit. But none of them will say it's bullshit because they all need it to sustain, or else their business models, <laughs> yeah. their business models will fail too. They need they need these valuations to sustain. But I think you look at you know through the grapevine, through energy fintwit. Yeah. Like these guys talk. That's why you need to be on energy fintwit because these guys are spilling the beans on some on some pretty proprietary shit that they just hear. Yeah. And you know, it sounds like the SEC is taking a look at two EMPs. I'm not gonna mention the EMPs, but been taking a look at their books because they don't they don't really believe that their reporting on the reserves is accurate. Wow. They're getting but, exposed. Yeah, huh? yeah. And I wouldn't say it's it's not necessarily cooking the books, but it's you know, from the point of inception, when you come up with that that reservoir valuation, from that point, everything is calculated off of that. And so if you made a mistake at this early beginning, mm-hmm. everything you do after that, it's just projected down the line and amplified. Yep. And so let's just break down what we're actually doing. We're saying exactly how much oil or gas is underground, 5, 10, however many feet down below ground. It's very easy to not get that right. Yeah. Of course, there's such a they they implement a huge margin for error. Yeah, and then like you said, it gets amplified again and again and again. So yeah, like you could be off, you know, by twenty, thirty, forty percent. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Like even if you had a ten percent error at initial stages, by the time you've you've leveraged and gotten down the line in, in your financing, that ten percent becomes magnif- magnified. And, yeah, uh, it becomes a fucking shit show to be honest and that's just why we're seeing and then to make it even worse if you're a public company then you add the speculation with the wall street bankers and stuff and they just absolutely eat you alive and kill your share price yeah. you know and so while the private companies still have some of the same issues they're the ones who are winning because they don't have the pressure necessarily of the public markets to make a little bit more they can make a little bit more sound business decisions as opposed to just doing whatever makes sense to, to please Wall Street. But this is why Wall Street and investors are mad is because management teams are still banking. Like if you own an EMP, you're on the management team, these guys are still making millions. They're not aligned with the company goals. Yeah. The company can be losing money on the verge of bankruptcy, but the management teams are still cashing right. out. So the top, so, everyone, everyone, nobody's making money except for everyone at the top. It kind of yeah. sounds <laughs> like a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> Imagine a pyramid. <laughs> yeah. And then that's just my dumb roughneck brain thinking, so I can could be completely wrong, but I'm sure I'm not the only one. I imagine okay, imagine you're making a million and a half in salary a year and another million and a half in stock options every year, right? You're cush, you got a nice big house in River Oaks, you're driving a Ferrari, your company is just burning, but naturally, like it's easy to kind of be fat and happy, as I would say, and be complacent yeah. if you're not incentivized. To do anything about it. Yeah, well, why do you give a shit if the company's you know? burning to the ground and you're and still think, making money? Think about it. These management teams are usually not just one or two people. It's like six people on staff that are making salaries from 800000 to like $3 million. So now you've got to convince the rest of these people who are all so fat and happy that, hey, we should probably fucking do something. We've probably changed the way that we're getting paid. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, too. So I was talking to an investment banker a couple of days ago, and he told me that all these EMPs over the next year are looking at really reducing their capex. Mm-hmm. And the way to do that is you start dropping rigs. Mm-hmm. So now here's the problem. They start do- dropping rigs over the next year and they're able to float by off of their PDP, off of their production. But the thing is, that's a declining asset. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it starts declining. They've cut down their capex by dropping these rigs so they don't have those new wells that have, you know, these companies, the way that they're structured right now, they have to keep popping new wells on the ground to get that production online mm-hmm. to be able to stay afloat. Yep. They're not making any profit, but they're able to stay afloat. 
but now they're looking to cut their capex so they're going to start stacking rigs and that's going to get them by for the next year but once they start hitting that decline on their current production they're not going to be able to stay afloat two years from now yeah and that's how a lot of companies and i won't mention but one that recently is or getting talked about being delisted and that recently filed bankruptcy is like you know, they drilled a few wells, ran to Wall Street, said, here's how much, you know, th- this is what our numbers look like. Well, they didn't. They spent a bunch of money trying to get that production up, but production continued to decline. And then it just got spread, spread, spread to where, yeah, they burned, you know, however much money they got to go public and burned it into the ground, which is a common scenario. It's like, yeah. you know, so it, it's tough. I mean, ultimately, yeah, companies are going to have to change the way they do business and, and it's going to get the cool, ripple effect. It's is, a cool opportunity for tech companies, for yes. startups, because it's almost, you don't want too much of a bloodbath in the streets, but you need a, you need a window for opportunity. And I think right now these EMPs are having to look internally and say, hey, how can we be more efficient and operate within cash flow? How can we make our people more efficient, our assets more efficient, mm-hmm. enter in new technology, new software, new downhole tools, whatever it may be. Yep. And so I think that there's this golden window right now for anyone that comes on this podcast, any other tech startup that's out there, anyone that has an idea to come up with a solution to make these companies more I think the business, it, I think we're seeing a huge transformative period where the, the traditional business models are kind of being challenged and, and possibly gonna go extinct. And I think we're going to see a lot less drilling. I think drilling is always going to be a part of what we're doing. But I think right. we're going to see a resurgence in the short term of just PDP. And I think that's kind of validated by like Dan Pickering leaving TPH, starting his own thing, and then focusing on yeah. I mean, uh, seven hundred seven hundred fifty million dollar fund, I believe, off the top of my head, that Dan Pickering's got to work with. Uh, I think he was on Bloomberg or CNBC said that they're taking a heavy look at PDP. Production. Anybody knows Dan. Uh, or Dan, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on the show. I'll get Dan on the show sometime. I'll talk about some PDP. Go. But, man, speaking of technology, too, we got our energy tech night coming yeah. up this week. Are you so, going? Yes, I'm going to be in Dallas. Man. Yeah, I know. I I'm terrible. We friends, man. Don't, I be know. Like, don't be like Justin, man. Don't be like me. Don't have don't have kids. Don't have a family. Don't go sell mud. That's one run, number one rule for success. <laughs> don't even work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, be a YouTuber and make 40 grand a year as long as you're happy. That's what matters. <laughs> Yeah, we're having our energy tech night if you're listening. It's going to be on the it's 25th, right? Yeah, September 25th. So it'll be on Wednesday. We're going to drop this episode as soon as possible. We're going to send this off to the editors and have this released before then. It's going to be at St. Arnold's Brewery. We actually rented out one of the gigantic rooms there. So we moved from WeWork for a variety of reasons, mostly acoustics. And so we're going to try this out and see how it goes. There'll and be, space. I mean, shit, we've almost got... 100 yeah. people signed up now. We expect over 200 to be there. So. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so we're going to have three different startups kind of presenting their technologies. Note these are like demos, so they're actually going to walk through what they do, not really pitches or anything. Then we're going to have a panel of a couple different venture capitalists who are focused on investing in oil and gas. Yeah, who and, do we have coming on? We got Cottonwood. Yeah, we've uh, got Ryan Gurney from Cottonwood. John um, Donovan from Donovan Ventures. Yep. And, and Abhinav Jain from CSL Energy Capital. He's focused specifically on the venture capital on the technology sector for them they've traditionally been more like ofs yeah so that's gonna be pretty cool they're gonna kind of give their take you know these guys see a lot of deal flow they see a lot of the trends that are happening and so we want to kind of break down the state of technology investing within oil and gas and startups and kind of what they're seeing also kind of how does it play into everything that we just talked about right just kind of with the state of the market mm-hmm. so i think it's gonna be a good time we always have a, a lot of fun and uh, there's there's beer and pizza too it's 
Like, beer and pizza, you can't complain. It's hard to pass it's a, up. It's a low risk, right? Because like, even if you don't like the people there, the <laughs> yeah. content is like free beer and pizza, man. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a struggling student and you think you got a good idea, you can pitch it. But really, if you just want to go drink beer and eat pizza, <laughs> that's what I would do. <laughs> Have people there like, dude, I don't, I don't get two shits about this. I'm here for <laughs> some pizza. <laughs> but share it and like it. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, man. Justin, appreciate you coming on the show, dude. This has been a blast. I love dude, being I, here. This in the is dungeon. fun. We need to do this more often. I think like I think that we need to spin off a show. You know, it can just us drinking whiskey, just shooting the shit. Yeah, proper twelve. Don't the other? There's a podcast out in West Texas. They always do their video thing, and they got a big bottle of proper twelve out there. Dude. I forget who that is. I think it's like the Permian Perspective. We, we need. Got, a, we, yeah, they're a pretty funny group. It we looks get, like. I mean, we got whiskey here that Ashley from Tracks brought us, but nice. Jake and I just like. One, we don't drink a lot of whiskey, <laughs> but, and I got shit to do also, so I can't be here drinking during the day. Like, yeah, no I got to I gotta work that. after this. Yeah, no, but, yeah, yeah, that's tough. Maybe we'll, sp- up. we'll, we'll spin off a show sometime and man, Justin, where can people find your show? Oil and gas on shore. I mean, that's, that's the title of it. Hit me up on LinkedIn. Like I said, if anyone ever wants to reach out, grab coffee, I had a coffee Yesterday with a guy who randomly hit me up on LinkedIn this morning, another one of the uh, gentlemen from Collective, Carl. Oh, yeah. His last name, good guy. Yeah. Yeah, So, yeah, I'm always willing to network and, yeah, check out Oil & Gas Onshore. Awesome. Check him out. Justin's a good guy. Great friend of ours. Highly recommend reaching out to him and grabbing lunch or a coffee with him. So Nice. Thanks again, man. Appreciate it. Jake, over to you, man. Cool. All right, guys. Once again, sorry for not releasing an episode last week. That's our bad. We are committed to, to releasing one every single week from here on until we're dead. So uh, if you like the show, um, until we're dead. I know, until we're dead. So actually, I I checked the ratings and reviews. (laughs) So we've got a ton of five-star ratings. And so thank you guys so much for taking the time to do that. If you'd like to support the show and and, and do that or share it with any of your friends or colleagues or any suggestions of people that we should have on the show, feel free to reach out to Colin and I directly and we will catch you guys in the next episode. Peace.